The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's episode 145. Steve here with Jimmy. We're recording a couple days later than usual because of the Labor Day holiday here in the States. So it kind of pushes us off of the Milan defeat. Now we're about five days out. We're recording on Wednesday. So it's given us time to kind of, I don't want to say push that to the back burner, but we'll reflect on it just a little bit in the bigger scheme of things as we go through some listener questions Jimmy has some updates on Pinto's press conference, which he did a piece on the website about. And if there's any audio difficulties, just bear with us because Jim had some computer issues today. So we're working through it mobily. So we're going to do the best we can here for you guys. So we don't have to hold off on another week for the episode. So Jim, how are you doing tonight? I know you got the, the audio issues, but I think we'll be all right. Yeah, doing, doing decently. Feeling better about things than I did immediately after the uh, Milan loss. But, you know, I feel like with this Empoli match coming up, I'm personally looking forward to the international break. I don't know about you. Just it, it's it's not been the start to the season that we've wanted. But, you know, I, as Pinto said in his press conference, I do think that there still is the core of a Champions League qualifying side in this squad. Yeah, I, I think I put it in the three things we noticed piece um, after the match, how like normally the international break two, three weeks into the season is like, oh, like already, like we're just starting to get into the swing of things. But I feel like with this season, the way it started for Roma, it couldn't have come at a better time. Um, yeah. You know, I thought I the agree. first week, unlucky to draw Slarnitana, it took really two very nice goals from Kondreva to kind of steal a point off of Roma and Roma dropped those two points in turn. Um, not so great at Hellas. We had to fight back for that point. And then even worse against Milan this past Friday. Um, it, it really yeah. felt like last season when we could just not figure out how to score a goal. I mean, Roman was up a man for pretty close to the last 30 minutes of the match. And that's when they finally put pressure on Milan's goal. And, and they did get a goal back. And there was a little hope that maybe they could pull a point out. But really, I think it was a deserved win for Milan based on the way that the game played out. Now, that early penalty did set the tone a little bit about how the game was dictated a little bit by Milan. I think I thought it was a bit of a soft penalty. Um, not a good play, play by Patricio. He put himself in a bad position that allowed the referee to make that call. Um, but even my buddy, but it Nick still shouldn't have been a fan. penalty in my opinion. Yeah, it still should have been. Yeah. I think it's like one of those ones where it's a little soft, but by, by rule of the law, it's a penalty. Like my buddy, Nick was a lot to fan agreed on that point. Like normally if we agree on certain things like that, it's like, you know, yeah. I'm not being super biased in my reasoning because, you know, someone from another team seeing it the same way. Um, but yeah. I thought Patricio put himself in a bad position and allowed the referee to make that call. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it's frustrating that these types of ticky-tack calls never seem to go Roma's way. Uh, I would say that, in fact, you know, that's something that Tiago Pinto talked about a little bit in his press conference, that post-Mercado press conference. Um, but I think after a certain point, you just have to accept that, unfortunately, for whatever reason, that we probably don't know about it, probably is 95% about behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, the referees in Roma don't have a good relationship. And as a result, you basically have to force the matter anytime you can with getting the win. 
and putting yourself in a position like Patricio did, you can't expect anything other than a penalty call there just because of how poor the relationship has been between the refs and Roma, not only in the Mourinho era, to be clear, but just, you know, practically since Americans took over the club. Yeah, and I think that's true, right? Referees are still human, so if the relationship's a bit strained, which it's been with Roma, especially the past couple years, then those maybe 50-50 calls might not be 50-50 anymore. Maybe they start being 55-45, and they they lean in the the wrong direction for Roma um, when they are kind of those subjective calls, right, where it's not really a clear-cut objective penalty or, or, you know, handball or things like that. So... I think it's you got to be extra careful for some of these these incidents here if you're Roman. And, and Patricio was a little slow off his line. It was, by rule of law, like we said, a penalty. Um, and Roma's going to have to move on, and they're going to have to be better after the international break. Now, you mentioned, we'll talk a little bit about Pinto's presser. You did the piece on it. I didn't really get to read it in detail the way you did, so I'll let you do a lot of the talking here, and I can kind of comment where I, you know, you know, have something to say. But... I think what Pinto said, you said, he said, we still have a Champions League qualifying side built, right? And I think on paper, Roma can compete for fourth, but things are going to have to go better than they've gone these first three matches. And one thing that happened in this match, again, another injury, right? How Sam LR got injured, yeah. um, looked like another muscle injury. So you throw him on the list with Sanchez, with Dybala, and that's another reason the international break comes at a good time for Roma because it gives that extra match week off to kind of hopefully get guys healed in these two weeks um, because pretty soon Europa League is going to kick off too and then the calendar gets really, really busy. But for this yeah. to be a champion the qualifying side, they have to be healthier. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. Um, Pinto actually touched on this a little bit when describing some of the moves that Roma have made. Over the course of the summer, some people have correctly noted, and he had admitted this, that you know signings like Renato Sanchez and even, to a certain extent, Paolo Dybala are really only happening in part because of those players' injury histories. Uh, and what he said is, look, I try to find players who opportunity allows us to bring them to Rome, who have enough class that they can be difference makers. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what the job of general manager is. If Imagine if the general manager was just like, I only want to sign the 11 best players in the world and everybody else is of no use to me. Uh, That might work for a Manchester City or a PSG, but that's about it. And so when you have these situations with players who are star players, but slightly damaged goods in a Lukaku sense, in a Sanchez sense, sense, you're pretty obligated to make a run for it if you're in Roma's position. the, the negative side of that, of, of course, is that, you know, players like Renato Sanchez and Paolo Dybala sometimes get injured. And that's kind of the price you have to pay as a club of Roma's caliber at the moment, that you, you can get players of world-class quality if there's kind of a but attached to their overall ability. So with Lukaku, that but was, he's a world-class striker but he's had problems with management at several clubs in the past with Paolo Dybala. It's like, he's a world-class attacking midfielder slash second striker, but he has had injury issues in the past with Renato Sanchez. It's like on his day, he's one of the best midfielders in the world, but he's had major injury issues in the past. So all things considered, I feel like that's kind of ties into what you're saying, Steve, that, at its best, this is a Champions League qualifying side. And an interesting quote that I have from here is from that, that inter- interview that he did, which was pretty wide-ranging. I'd recommend you guys all read that the article, which I kind of provided some takes on, uh, on the interview. But basically what he said was, when I go out and try to sign players like Wijnaldum, Dybala, Lukaku, and Tammy Abraham, you have to tell them something. Do you think players of that caliber would join a team that's not challenging for targets like Champions League football? They wouldn't. That's the logic from my point of view. And while you can play with words, I don't think the coach and I disagree about these things. We're not Manchester City, are we? Of course, I might have wanted to sign Declan Rice, but maybe if we were City, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. There'd be someone better in my place. Different clubs do different transfer business, and we have to understand this reality. 
So I think that pretty accurately sums up Roma's market and also just Roma's situation period in the stratosphere of European football. Uh, It's a very frustrating place to be in the sense that despite not necessarily winning too many trophies over the years, in terms of name brand appeal, Roma, and in terms of like these points systems that they often have for, you know, European success, Roma has consistently been in the top 10 of like those point totals that like UEFA puts together because Roma goes deep in European competitions on a pretty regular basis, if we're being honest. Um, But the flip side of that is that Roma does that often with limited funds. Part of that is a problem of Serie A. Part of that is a problem of Roma doesn't have its own stadium. But at the moment, Roma has to work with Roma with what Roma is. And Roma, in terms of finances and muscle, is a half tier to a tier below all of those Petro clubs, below the Manchester cities. And given that, you know, you have to work with constraints. And my biggest takeaway from the Tiago Pinto interview was basically him saying, yeah, we work with constraints. I'll always be thinking about whether I could have sold a player for a million euros more or bought a player for a million euros less. I'll always be thinking about how we can make the club better, but at the same time, be aware of the constraints as I'm working. And I think that that's kind of important context for Romanisti to have when we're talking about, well, why didn't they sign player XYZ? Why didn't they, you know sell player XYZ for 5 million euros more. Like it would be in a perfect world, Roma would have the money of the Manchester cities or the PSGs without any of the kind of baggage that is associated with that money. But we're not in that world. Um, And we have to work with what we've got. We've got to work with the financial fair play. And that sucks. But at the same time, I never started following Roma because I thought it was Real Madrid. Um, so, so given that I would say I, I overall appreciated his presser and I think it's kind of informative on the the market that he conducted and I would recommend everyone give it a read. Yeah. I I think it's important to get the context of, of the work he's having to try to do. I mean, he said it right there in the interview too. I, I'm just kind of scrolling through real quick that. In the settlement agreement that over the course of two years, Roma can spend no more than 70% of the club's revenues on team building. Um, and he then said, you know, and, and while other sporting directors may have been ho- off on holiday, I spent the whole of June trying to obtain the financial results that would allow us to stay within this plan. So he didn't he didn't really have time to just sit back and say, you know, I'm going to go to the Amalfi Coast for a couple of weeks or, or wherever and sit on Mykonos and, you know, I'll, I'll come back to work middle of June. We just had a long season. I mean, he, He's had to, to work within these means, and I think it's important that he pointed out, like, we have to take risks on these players, but we've told these players, like, we're gunning for Champions League positioning. Like, we're not yeah. just signing you because we want to sign you and, oh, it would be fun to have you and play in the Europa League with us. Like, our goal is to be in Champions League next year with you. Um, <clears throat> you know, he, he said there's that strategic plan, right? And you need to get out of that financial fair play situation. You have to sign young players with the bright futures who can achieve sporting and financial results. He said... And he said, if I'd paid $20 million for Indica and Awar, perhaps you would have asked me a different question because they're both under 25 and already played hundreds of games in big competition. So it's that mix of players. There, there, there's a plan here. There's a plan in place. Roma made that clear, I think, with the early signs of Indica and Awar. And then then he had to you know, work within that 70% of revenues. And, and Roma's revenues aren't the same as some of these Premier League clubs and, and other big clubs because of TV contracts and everything else. And Overall, I guess we never really, I don't know if we ever reflected completely on the Mercato gym, but I think overall it's hard to be upset with the way this team was built looking back now. I mean, a couple about a month ago, we were looking, scratching our heads, like when are we going to make some signings? I think he did as best as he could in this position. Now, are there still places to address? Yes, we're going to get to that in our listener questions too. But I, I think considering what Pinto is working with financially, um, not being in the Champions League as well and and probably not competing for the Scudetto, like not having those things to sell to players. I think he did a pretty decent job.
All right. So anything else, Jim, that uh, you want to point out in the, in the interview? Uh, yeah, just one thing that I found kind of interesting, given all of the hoopla that was happening this summer, uh, is that he mentioned Marcos Leonardo several times, uh, basically without prompting uh, in the interview. And there were reports coming out of Italy today suggesting that that deal is effectively done. Uh, I think that that's an interesting wrinkle to both Roma's transfer moves this summer and also potentially the future of uh, Tammy Abraham, the future of um, Romelu Lukaku, basically the future of Roma's entire strike force. The fact that it appears that Roma is dropping 13 million euros on Marcos Leonardo so he can come to Rome in January, whether that will be ending in a six-month loan to a smaller Serie A side or if he will just be joining the club immediately, who's to say? But that did seem like an interesting angle that first when people asked him about why isn't the club signing younger players, um, he says, well, we did sign younger players and like talked about Indica and Awar, who both are under 25, to be fair, and is very mm -hmm. established in their leagues. And he said, basically he said, like, I feel like sometimes I think that people would have given them more weight as transfer signings if they hadn't been free transfers. Uh, if he had paid 20 million for Indica, for example, um, he says, then maybe they would, would have asked me a different question about why I'm not investing in riskier transfer fees. Um, but he said, you know, Marcos Leonardo was a target uh, and prospects like him are on our radar uh, and we're trying to sign him. Uh, and he mentioned him a couple more times throughout the interview. And that combined with the fact that reports are coming out that he that the club has reported, reportedly agreed to a deal with Santos makes me think, given how tight-lipped this Roma infrastructure usually is, the fact that they're talking about him so openly makes me think that deal is done. Yeah, for him to be mentioning him by name and making it very clear he's a target makes you think it's very close to being done. I, I did see something a little while ago that Santos has apparently found a replacement for him, which would kind of unlock yeah. that. Um but yeah, I, 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 you have to think that he is going to be on his way in January if they're mentioning it by name. And, and for me, at 13 million, I think that's a still a, a decent number for a club like Roma, who has this financial fair play stuff to deal with. But for a young prospect who is rated as, as fairly high as he is, I think 13 million is a pretty fair asking price, and it, it cuts off at least probably five million of what they're going to have to pay in the summer. So. I'm fine waiting another six months to, to get him on and that rate. Because then if he doesn't pan out, 13 is not the end of the world. to probably resell him somewhere, five, six million. Um, after you amortize part of that contract, or amortize rather, part of that contract. So not a terrible sign if they can make that happen at 13. And I think what he said about Awar and Indica has a lot of truth to it, right? When people don't see a transfer fee, they're like, oh, well, why their club let them walk for free? But we're starting to see that more and more now where players are – playing out their contracts. They want to be able to negotiate their own contracts as a free agent. Like we see in American sports, like every American sports league, these guys look to their free agent year, their contract year. Cause that's when they're going to be able to choose where they play, make the most money they're going to make in their career. And I, I think we're starting to see it more in European football um, because guys don't want to say, okay, I'll accept a transfer here. And then I'll sign this five-year extension when they're one year away from free agency and, and they kind of have choice and in European football there's even more choice because you're not just playing either in the United States or maybe Toronto or if it's the NHL a couple other Canadian cities it's you have the the pick of anywhere in Europe and now even Saudi Arabia can, can come calling in and there's a lot of options for these guys so I think both of those signings are gonna come really good for Roma and I think he has a point where he's like well nobody's really giving me credit for those basically is what he's saying yeah I 100% agree on both Ndika and Awar but just to I'm going to pull back to the Marcos Leonardo bit for one second, just to read word for word what he said and kind of explain why I think this means that the, the transfer is happening. He says, so the question was, Gianluca Scamacca, Marcos Leonardo, Lucas Beltran, then in the end, Lukaku joined. Can you explain the approach here, given that you followed targets of different ages? And, and can you explain what happened with Beltran and Fiorentina? He makes some jokes about being divorced and not having any kids, but then he jumps to... Um, Marcos Leonardo, where he says, Marcos Leonardo is a player we're still interested in. He's a player we've been tracking for 15 or 16 months, and I reached a point where the deal was not completely done, but the three parties were close to agreeing. 
We were unlucky because in the space of a couple months, a historic club like Santos found themselves fighting relegation and their technical coordinator, some of you all know very well, Falcao, was sacked. They changed coaches, sold two 17-year-olds for $30 million, and the situation became a lot more complicated. Selling your team's best player halfway through the season becomes a political matter, and I had to respect Santos's decision. I was sorry, but he remains a target. He's a player I know very well. He's 20 years old and has played 150 games and scored 50 goals for Santos. So the fact that he spent that long, like that took just about 45 seconds to a minute for me to say. Um, the, fa- the fact that he spent that long in the uh, press conference talking about Marcos Leonardo, again, makes me think that that deal is happening in January. But going back to what we were talking about with Awar and Indica, I think it's got a lot of merit. Um, thinking about the free agents that were available uh, going into this offseason, Indica and Awar were thought of as two of the best available. And going back to what I was saying about how Roma is not Manchester City, in terms of finding the best clubs for the cheapest value, that's kind of what Roma has to do in this situation where Roma needs to be working with 70% of their revenue. And that's kind of all there is to it. Um, Roma needs to make smart moves, not necessarily expensive moves to be able to win. And I would put the Renato Sanchez deal. I'd put the Leandro Paredes deal. I'd put the Lukaku deal all under the umbrella of smart moves that are not expensive moves. And it's always really sexy when the club drops a huge amount of money on an exciting young player or exciting new player. Like I can tell you, I was really excited when Roma spent 45 million euros on Tammy Abraham, but we can't do that all the time. And if we're being honest, it's probably good that we're not doing it all the time because the last time that Roma spent money like that, it was actually writing checks that they couldn't really cash. Yeah. And I, I, I think, like you said, both those guys were, were fairly highly rated. And I think those other three moves that you mentioned, Sanchez, Paredes and Lukaku, especially more Sanchez and Lukaku to me, low risk, potentially high reward for them. I mean, Lukaku, we can mention him, uh, I guess, because he, he made his debut in the um, Milan match. We don't want to gloss over that too much, but he showed some some life. He showed some spark. Uh, I know a lot of the time he was in the match room was up a band, so it kind of sways the the balance of play a little bit. But I, I think he's he showed his hunger there. I think he's going to be uh, an asset for Roma this year. I think Sanchez in his limited time in that Hellas match, or was it the match before the Salernitana match, he showed a little bit of uh, what makes him so special that he's going to add a different element to the Roma midfield. If he could, if he could make seventy-five percent of the Roma's matches this year as as a healthy option, I think you almost have to call that a win based on his track record. And if he can, you know, really help add that ball pushing midfielder to the to that center of the park, then he could be an asset too. So I, I think what Pinto's had to do is do smart business, right? Not big business, but more the, the smart business with free transfers two guys who are highly rated. Maybe Awar was a little bit out of favor because he kind of wore out his welcome at Lyon. I, I think there were some issues with management. He wanted to get out of there sooner. And, you know, he had to he had to wait his turn. And, and Dika, we, we know Eintracht has been in European competitions the past few years, and he's been a, a major player in their defense. So, I, I, again, I have, you know, no quarrels with the, the business in the end, I think. I, I think it was looking suspect in july early august but i think in the end he came good and he he did as much as he could for the side i think at this point yeah i 100 percent agree with that and i think look someday we'll hopefully have a roma that really has the financial largesse to play with the big boys until then we just have to make smart deals and we can criticize tiago pinto for a bunch of things i don't think he's perfect but i will say that overall I've been impressed with his ability to do a lot with a little. And yeah, I think that uh, uh, it's, it's frustrating that Roma doesn't have that financial largesse, but I'm impressed with the moves that Roma has been making despite that lack of money. Yeah, for sure. So I think we'll move on in, in just a minute. We'll take our quick ad break and then we'll move into some listener questions that you guys submitted to us. So we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. So we got, we got some listener questions from you guys. We want to get into those now. We have a couple on Twitter, a few on the message boards. Um, I will... <laughs> Start with this one. This is from No Toti No Party. Jim, he says, has the extreme positivity from the last few podcasts taken a dent after the start to the season? Yes. <laughs> I'd be lying, man, if I wasn't at least a little bit bummed. But at the same time, I do feel like there is at least some reason behind why Roma's look so poor in these first three matches. Uh, the first of it is that, you know, Mourinho wasn't actually managing for the first two matches. Uh, Dybala and Pellegrini haven't been consistently available. Uh, Lukaku hasn't been integrated into the side. Like, there are reasons, but that doesn't make it any less acceptable that, you know, Roma has one point out of three matches. Uh, and I think everyone would be at the club would be the first to admit that this is not acceptable. So I would say that I'm definitely not as optimistic as I was before. But I'm still vaguely hopeful for the season. I don't think that we're going to be fighting relegation. Uh, I think that there's a good chance that Roma will still be in the hunt for Champions League spots going forward. Yeah, positively, it definitely takes a bit of a dent after the start. But still, 35 match days left, so I'm not giving up hope just yet. I, I think no Romanisti should. Um, but definitely, we need we need a rebound win after the international break against Empoli to, to kind of to bring the good feelings back. But um no, no, party, no, no, excuse me. No, Toti, no party. Also asked about Rui Patricio, which is a, definitely a topic that's been swirling around the boards lately, around Twitter, um, around the Romaverse. And he asked, can he still turn things around? When should Zvilar get a chance, or should we go for a January keep goalkeeper, or should Rui just get more credit? And there was a uh, graphic put up um, on Twitter. It was also shared on our message boards. Um, through a Twitter link from, from Lupo AS Roma, who is a big Roma account. And he posted the post shot XG of goalkeepers from last season. Um, and Rui was um, the, the worst uh, up to a certain point last season. Um, I think he finished the season pretty near the bottom. The, the graphic he put up was from somewhere on mid season, but um, what do you, what are your thoughts on Rui Jim? Is he just like a finished player at this point? Is there hope that he can turn things around? Do we turn to Zvilar at some point? And if so, when, um, because now when we look at it first match, I don't blame him so much on, on the goals there. Those were really good plays by Kondreva. Second match clearly cost us the opening goal. This match has a lot to do with why we give up the opening goal and get a penalty called against us. Like what, what do we think about Patricio at this point? It's frustrating. Um, I agree with you that the first match wasn't necessarily his fault, but the next two definitely were. Uh, and I would say more broadly that I don't really see any op- option on the free agent market where it'll suddenly make Roma's goalkeeper situation better either. Uh, some of the names that we're linked to have made me kind of laugh, like Casper Schmeichel. Like, I'm sorry, he's more lost than Patricio at this point. So... I would say that overall we just have to hope that he either gets his form back or Svilar gets a chance and impresses. I think those are really the two options right now. I wish there were more options, but it doesn't really seem like there are. Steve, do you think that there's somebody else that we could be looking at? I, I, I just don't see anything. No, I mean, De Gea maybe was someone, but that might be better at this point than Rui, but he had a big salary at, United and and doesn't seem like they've really kicked his tires. I know Schmeichel was offered and and he was not even taken into consideration by Mourinho. Apparently, according to reports, I don't think he's really moving the the needle. Does Lloris move the needle at this point? I don't think so. Um, I think at some points Villar might have to get a chance. I think his first chance might be in Moldova in a couple of weeks against Sheriff in the Europa League. I mean, what better mm-hmm. way to give him a chance than? Um, the opening group stage match there. Maybe the Europa League becomes his competition. And if he plays really well there, then heck, maybe he comes Roma's player in Serie A or vice versa. Maybe you give him one of the upcoming matches that's against one of these lower Serie A clubs. I, I don't think he gets the Empoli match right off the bat, but maybe against Genoa or Frosinone if Patricio doesn't play well against Empoli or Torino or Sheriff. At some point, I, I do think he, he has to get 
a little bit of a look, um, a little more than he's gotten so far. And and maybe maybe Sheriff is tough because it's on the road in Moldova, long trip, European night. But I, I, if Rui doesn't play well against Empoli, I think Mourinho has to consider it. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's, uh, yeah, there's not really much of an alternative, right? Like, three, three ma- one match is a mistake, two is a worrying trend, and three or four, you just get to the point where it's like, well, we got to find something to do because this club has bigger aspirations than a super poor um, goalkeeper. And he's been one of the worst goalkeepers in Serie A to start the season. Yeah. And, and this is going back to last year now. So that, that, that's what makes it more worrying. I like Smalling and he's hasn't looked great in these, these few matches. You can kind of write off and say, okay, he's a little out of form, but his track record has been great the other four years in Rome. He, he probably just he'll round into form. And if he doesn't, maybe then we worry about that a little bit later, but he's got plenty of leash. I think, I, I think Patricio's leash has to be a lot shorter because he's shown this regression now over the course of a season. Um, you know, after they won that conference league, it's kind of been downhill for him. Pietro yeah. Bo- Boer is the other goalie on the roster, 21 years old. He played one Europa League match back in 2021. Um, that was when Fonseca was still here. So he hasn't really played um, really ever at the, the senior level. And I, I, he's the third keeper. So like that, that's what Rome is working with right now. Um, yeah. I think Zvilar has got to be the one to get a look if they do. And I think also it's because you have to give Zilar a look at some point just to see what you have in him. If, if he is potentially the answer um, going forward, or maybe does Roman need to look for two keepers next year, right? Like do we need a starter and a reserve? Um, that, that could be something that they might have to think about too, but 24 years old played with Benfica in the champions league as I think like a 19 or 20 year old. So maybe give him a look. I, I do think he has to get a chance at some point. Yeah, I think he'll probably get a chance at some point. You don't bring in a second keeper who's his age for no reason other than to warm the bench. Uh, this is a guy who was the youngest ever starting goalkeeper in the Champions League. I have to think he'll get a chance at some point with the club. That's an actual serious chance. Yeah, and um, January, I don't know how much they can do in January. I don't know what who that many teams are going to want to give up a keeper in January, I don't think. So it might be those guys that has to get us through. Um. Yeah, I wish I had a better answer than that. I wish I had yeah. more optimistic answer than that. But. <laughs> um, before we get to Mourinho, because we have some questions on Mourinho, Nick Bedell on Twitter asked, "What will turn this slow start around? Is Evan is Evan and Dika the solution? Do we need someone to solidify the central defensive mid midfield position?" And he put Cristante in parentheses. Do we switch formations? What do you think might be able to turn this around for us, Jim? Uh. I don't necessarily know if I have a, a formation answer here because I'm not necessarily sure that the formation is the problem. I think that part of the problem is that we're still waiting to really see Evan and Dicka's uh, actual start here. And he was really brought in, I think we can say confidently now, as the Rodri Ibanez replacement. And to lose a player like Ibanez from your starting 11 and not really get replace him, that takes a toll in your defense. So I would say that one of the things that I'm looking at, not necessarily tactically, but just in the starting 11, is seeing Indica come in. Um, another thing that I'm looking at is, to be honest with you, I really want to see more of Nikola Zalewski. He has not been able to have as consistent playtime throughout a match over the course of these first three matches because of that kind of worrisome injury that he had, uh, where it looked like he basically got concussed. Uh, I hope that he's okay, but he's been head and shoulders above uh, Spinazzola to start the season. So I'm hoping that he's able to turn his good performance in limited minutes into good, consistent performances, because that's really what Roma needs in terms of attacking talent. Uh, The ability to uh, actually cross the ball is sorely lacking in the starting 11 right now. And if a player like uh, Zalewski is able to pick up form, that'll really do a lot for the club's hopes. Similarly, I'm hoping that there's just like an actual decision made at right back. Right now, it really feels like we're doing right back by committee and I don't like it. I want an actual starter because with the way that our tactics are lined up, fullbacks or attacking wingbacks are important. 
And at the moment, it seems like, you know, you could flip a coin and it's either Karsdorp, Selleck, or somebody else starting it right back. And that's just not really a long-term solution that works. So I think that the fullback wingback positions are really the most important things to hammer down. I also think that making sure that players are healthy is important to hammer down. And also, just to be honest, like getting Lukaku integrated into the side. I don't know about you, but he looked very impressive to me in the, mm-hmm. the sub minutes that he played. And I yeah. think that if he's able to consistently play and start, that could really be a difference maker for the club uh, in a major way. Uh, I think that could really be something that happens. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I think a lot of this is less about tactics and more about players getting integrated, players not being injured, and players knowing their roles. Yeah, just to piggyback on the Lukaku point, we haven't seen Lukaku play with Dybala yet, right? I think that is something that could really get the attack going too. And and I thought Belotti, even in the loss, he he worked hard. He didn't have an awful match considering how little Roma had going forward. I think Belotti playing in the form he's in, Lukaku showing the hunger and drive that he had. You throw that in there with Dybala. Uh, hopefully Pellegrini starts to pick it up a little bit. This attack can get going. I think conversely from last season, the attack is the position that has me the least worried early in the season. Yeah, I do think Indica will help the defense. I, I, I'll add a little more speed to the defense, a left-footed player to play the left side, um, where Lorente can then be a rotation option to spell the, the starting trio is my hope. I do think the central midfield is missing uh, Nemanja Matic a bit. I, I yeah, do think I they're agree. missing that true center mid. Um, I don't. But Paredes think... hasn't looked bad. Let's just be real. He's looked pretty no he's different looked... player though. He's not going to break up play player, the same way Montic has. Um, I do think also having Awar Sanchez and having all these different options healthy in the midfield. If hopefully in the next couple of weeks we have all these guys, it gives Mourinho more options in the midfield and, and some different ways to change things up. And you know the formation part of it, maybe Roma should switch to a four man back line at some point. Um, the wing backs aren't cutting it right now. Right back, like you said, is a problem. I mean, Salik got absolutely bullied by Leal on that second goal. And Leal's not a big, strong player. Like, he just backed him up, and then he made – it was a great great finish on his part. I'll give him that. But, like, the positioning from Salik was just, oh, like, awful. Like, just you – know, it was like he was boxing him out for a rebound in basketball is what it looked like. And – Yeah. Like, too easily. Too easily. So right back has to get solved. Um, you know, Patricio's got to get better. They got to look to a different goalkeeper. I do think Indica helps. Um, but like I said, and Jimmy agreed, I think the attack is where, we, where we're at right now. It's a complete 180 from last year. I think the defense will figure it out. They got to figure out the midfield rotation, what combinations work best. And they got to get better wing back play and better goalkeeper play. But I, I do still have plenty of hope. I mean, uh boondock faint on twitter um commented and asked a question but just gave his two cents he said patience everyone when dibala and pellegrini joined lukaku on the pitch things could get fun especially with the revamp midfield um and massimo uh, femia said i think given what is at his disposal transfer restrictions injuries etc criticism is warranted but i don't think that any other coach would necessarily do any better i'm mostly concerned by what looks like regression of players across the board in what is now year three um so defending Mourinho there and that brings us to our next question and it's I'll read a couple just to give everyone who you know sent in questions a, a nod for sending them in but it's a couple of Mourinho related questions this one is from Ben Jalorosi Blue on Twitter he said at what stage does Mourinho begin to take the blame for our poor start to the season he seems to get a free pass due to winning the conference league a trophy we were clear favorites to win along with Spurs his winning percentage is actually lower than EDFs a manager who our fans mock um, and then just to follow up on that, we have a couple other Mourinho related questions. Um, no Toti, no party. Can Mourinho still turn things around under which circumstances should Roma let him go prematurely? Um, also Toti Frevs on the boards. When is a good time to start calling for Jose's head? I'm thinking round six, if this form continues. Um, well, yeah, if we get two points out of six matches, uh, I would say, I would say then we start raising a lot of questions, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think two points out of six. Yeah. I, I, if we're at two points in six out of six, I will probably be calling for his head as well. Yeah. I, I think um, he, he's got time, right? Um, <clears throat> I don't think they're going to sack him. The, this ownership doesn't seem like an ownership that's willing to sack someone, especially of Jose's stature so early. They're paying a lot of money. 
Also, what image does that give if they want to bring in another big name manager after Jose Mourinho, right? Um, and not for nothing, Mourinho took Roma to a trophy two years ago, took them to a final last year. A slow start is not the end of the world. Obviously, like Jimmy said, if there's like two points out out of six rounds and the next three are against clubs that they should realistically beat, um, then there's a, then then there's things to be questioned, right? But I think he's got some leash. I don't know how prematurely Roma would have to get rid of him. I was talking on my other podcast, and one of the one of the other guys said, "You know, Mourinho year three. Like, I could see if they don't get out of the group stage for some reason, I could see Mourinho going. But he thinks as long as Jose Mourinho and Roma are in the in the Europa League, he's going to want to continue toward that trophy. He's not going to like blow things up like he's done in other places in the past. I I, I don't see him getting sacked. Um, this was the yeah, first match either. he was actually on the bench. Yeah." Um, I do think he takes blame in part for this Milan match. You know, he's the manager and, you know, um, things could have gone differently maybe, but the players have to perform too. Like he can't do anything about Rui Patricio giving up that penalty. He can't do anything about um, layout, just posting up um, Selig. That's that's actually the best word I could think of, but he posted him up. Um, so tactically, there are some things to be worked on. I, I think, you know, he's still finding his combinations, but I don't know. I, I know other people are quicker to, to ax managers, but what do you do if you ax Jose Mourinho, I don't know, uh, two months into the season or something, yeah. right? Like, where do you go from there? Yeah, I don't know like, where you go from there. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of these players, just before you go, Jim, I think a lot of these players are here because of Jose Mourinho, the guys that have been coming in the last two months, uh, two seasons. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think that a lot of these players have come in because of Mourinho, at least in part. And I think that axing him would compound Roma's problems rather than solve them. And I gen- generally feel that way about um, Rome, like sacking a manager, period. I really don't think that it solves problems more than it does. Like sacking a manager halfway through the season doesn't usually solve a club's problems. It doesn't really stop the bleeding in the way that a lot of people yeah it does it's just if you're like fighting relegation i can see where it makes sense right like you see like the way like some of these guys are like these salvation specialists right they come in every season they get hired by a club like halfway through and they save a team from from relegation but then they're never good enough to like start a season and finish it like those are the guys that you bring in like those are the situations i feel like you you change managers like roma situation now i don't think they get much better if they bring in a different manager. That that that's that's my whole thing. Yeah, like, I would agree. You're yeah, gonna bring I, in I Conte. They... You're gonna pay Conte Mourinho's wages, and then you're paying two managers like ten million euros a season for the rest of the yeah, season. I, I don't. I, I don't, don't think, think that happens. Happen. I don't think that happens. Yeah. Um, Spalletti's coaching the national team now. He's not an option anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't think it happens. I, I really don't. Um. Yeah, we talked about the tactics um, in our other question. That was from Armonk. Um, and Balon de Totti, the last one that we had that was a little different was that Mourinho says the players aren't playing because they have to learn how to play. How do we play is his question, right? Um, so, and I think that refers to Indica, um, the situation there, him not playing it through three matches. Then, yeah, uh, that that's a, that's a good question. Sometimes we question, like, why aren't we being a little more aggressive? Where, where's yeah. the possession? Like those first two matches, they control a lot of possession against those smaller teams. When it came against Milan, it, that just it went back to what we saw last season. So, I guess we're gonna have to see what our identity is over the next few weeks. Hopefully, we get guys that are healthy and and we can kind of build an identity. I would agree. I think that we're very much in the early stages with the squad, um, because whether we like it or not, there were a lot of major changes that were enacted to the squad over the course of the summer. I'm refraining from calling for anybody's head just yet because of that. Yeah. All right. So that'll end our listener questions. I guess the last thing to close on quick, Jim, we can spend just a couple minutes to wrap it up is uh, the Europa League draw we had the end of last week. And we haven't um, been on since that happened. So Roma was drawn into Group G as the, as the pot one team with Slavia Prague, Sheriff and Servette. Sheriff is from Moldova. If you remember them a couple of years ago, they actually, I think, beat Real Madrid in, the, in a Champions League match uh, when they were in the Champions League. Kind of like a surprise team. Uh, and then Servette, who is from the Swiss Super League. So looking at this draw, I mean, I don't think Roma could have gotten a much better draw. I would agree. 
I'm not going to jinx anything because let's just be honest, Roma's lost to people in these conference leagues and Europa leagues before that have been embarrassing. I think Roma should advance. I, I don't think that that's hot, that very hot to take. Uh, no, I think and to, to this season, they, they should win this group. I think if they don't win the group, I think it's disappointment. Last year with Batiste, at least you're playing a team from La Liga. Like there's none of that in this group. Yeah, I would agree. I I I don't want to jinx things, but yeah, I would say they should be winning this group. Like when I look at how some of these other groups were drawn, like West Ham is in Group A. They got Olympiacos and Freiburg, and then another team I never heard of. Like couple couple decent matches for them against Olympiacos and Freiburg. Um, group B. Ajax, they got Marseille, Brighton, and AEK Athens. Like, that to me is the group of death of this Europa League. Like, that's a tough group. Roma doesn't have to deal with the Premier League team like that. They have to deal with the Ligue team. They don't have to deal with an Ajax. Um, group C, Rangers, Batiste, Sparta, Prague, and, and another smaller side from Eastern Europe. Like, I, I take I take our group over having to play, like, Batiste and, and another Prague side, I guess. Adelante's got Sporting Lisbon in their group and Sturm Graz from Austria. Uh, Liverpool also got a pretty decent group, but that Union St. Julie team showed up last year. And um, LASK is, is in that group too. Um, Villarreal's got Ren, our old friend Matic there, Pithiniakos, Maccabi Haifa, like, and then Leverkusen has Karabag, our old friends from the Champions League about a decade ago, Molden and, and Hawkins. So I think Roma and, and Leverkusen probably got the two best groups. Um, and I think Roma's just got to take care of business there. And I think not to overlook any of these teams. I do think this group allows for some rotation from Mourinho in these two week matches um, because yeah, these are teams that Roma should be able to beat with a mix of first 11 players and a couple second 11 players. Yeah. I, th- I think that the whole point of developing further depth in this side is that Roma should be able to balance multiple competitions re- not regardless of the talent that they're playing in either competition, but just more generally speaking, I think that they should be able to handle playing Europa League matches and Serie A matches and winning both. I think that the biggest thing that held Roma back from Champions League qualification last season, ironically in both competitions, was the fact that they were attempting to win two competitions. Uh, if you yeah. look at you know the likes of Lazio, that did not they, – they crashed out of the ECL, let alone the Europa League uh, – they got the Champions League football in part because by the end of their season, they had one match per game per, per mm-hmm. week, and that was it. And their their players were rested, uh, whereas Roma had two to three matches every week, and it caused problems. It caused injuries, and especially in the midfield. If these players can stay healthy, I think we've developed a midfield rotation that can impress. And, you know, that's that's what you're hoping for with a club like Roma that you can develop enough depth through whatever means necessary to go deep in competitions and try for top four, because as much as I bristle against the idea that Roma should be prioritizing top four football over everything else, because in my mind, they don't give you a trophy for, for placing fourth, third or second. uh, I just have to admit it. Financially speaking, you're kind of, obligated to be gunning for those positions in the league so i would say that there's still a lot to give me confidence in the club i'm not hitting the panic button just yet come back to me after the a match or two after the international break or maybe even if roma loses this match to empoli uh and i might be singing a very different tune but i have cautious optimism still yeah, I agree on that. And just to give a quick rundown of the Europa League calendar, uh, it kicks off Thursday, September 21st in Mount Moldova against Sheriff. Um, that's sandwiched between Empoli and Torino. Uh, a couple weeks later, October 5th, Roma hosts Servette at the Olimpico. That's sandwiched between Frozenone and Cagliari. That's, that's a stretch where, you know, those two stretches, I don't think you need a whole ton of rotation if Marino doesn't want to. I think he can rotate in the league instead of in Europa. He can really mix and match there because – the overall competition uh, is no, there's no big teams there. When it gets tough to me is October 29th, they host or they travel to the San Siro for Inter. And right before that, on the 26th is when they host Slavia Prague. And then the reverse fixture against Slavia Prague is November 9th. And then the Derby's three days later. So Slavia Prague is probably going to be the toughest of these three teams in the group. And both yeah. times they play them is right before a big match against Inter or Lazio. Um, yeah. November 30th, they host. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, November 30th, Servette away. Um, that's in between Udinese and Sassuolo. And then they wrap December 14th, hosting Sheriff. That's in between Fiorentina and Bologna. Hopefully by match day six, they've got things done and dusted already so they can focus all their energy on that Fiorentina match and then they could throw in some reserves against Sheriff. But we'll see. That's always the hope. Um, but I think overall favorable group, most of the calendar in that group works out in their favor in terms of who they're playing around it. Um, the hellish part of their calendar is actually when the Europa League is off. If they advance, it's you know around Christmas, New Year's time is when Roma's got the Napoli, Juve, Atalanta, Milan stretch, so they won't have those midweek matches to contend with um, unless like yeah. a Copa match gets thrown in there. So I think in, in those terms, I think this time the Europa League calendar even works for the most part in their favor too, I think. Yeah. Let's let's you know cross our fingers on it. I mm-hmm. it it feels like sometimes following Roma is like worrying about <laughs> like mirrors breaking, walking in a black cat's path. Like there's so many different things that seem to go wrong every <laughs> season for Roma's squad. Uh, that you know the fact that we've on, only had as few injuries as we've had so far to start the season feels abnormal, and we've had a good number of injuries. So. Like, we didn't lose a key – knock on wood, but we haven't lost a key player for the entire season just yet, and that feels like a win. Um, so so given that, um, yeah, I, I can't think too much about challenging multi-weeks, multi-match weeks just yet because – Let's just get our first Serie A win first, let's just, right? <laughs> let's just get a win, you know? Yeah, let's just get a win, please. Yeah. All right, so I think that's a good place to wrap. Thank you all for submitting your questions, listening, following along during this international break. And uh, we'll catch you again soon on Across the Romaverse.